So we've been talking about the release of Larry Hoover, the possible or the hopeful release of Larry Hoover and uh, uh, Jeff Ford. And, uh, and as I had said before, not a fan. And in my opinion, okay, they might have bought food in food deserts and they might have, but they sold death and destruction and there was prostitution. So, I mean, they were not saints, okay? Uh, If that was the case, those people that are in prison today would not be atoning. Atoning for what? If that's what all you were doing was feeding the poor, okay? So we have been talking on the Midday Show. We've been having wonderful conversations about these black doctors who are trying to deal with violence uh, that they see in the emergency room, the aftermath, so to speak. So I have um, Reverend Bond. I have Reverend Bond who is uh, the spiritual care chaplain at the University of Chicago Medicine. And we have uh, assistant professor, no, we have Abdullah Hassan Pratt, Dr. Uh, Abdullah Hassan Pratt, who went to Morgan Park Academy in uh, Chicago, uh, who is the assistant professor of emergency medicine at the University of Chicago Medical uh, Medical Center. And we have Andre Thomas, too. We have Andre Thomas. He is a violence recovery specialist at the University of Chicago Medicine. Welcome, gentlemen, to the show. I appreciate you, um, especially after the spirited conversation that we had uh, before you came on. I'm going to start with you, Dr. Pratt. Tell me um, how you ended up at the University of Chicago and why is this such a mission for you? From bringing a level one trauma center to the University of Chicago, I understand that you suffered a loss. Tell our listeners about it. Yes, ma'am. I appreciate you all, and it's always an honor to come on your show, uh, as well as WVON. Uh, but again, I'm at Duma, um, and I'm actually working a shift right now, uh, seeing some of this death and destruction. Uh, but it was that very thing that I saw growing up that led me to having this career in emergency medicine. Uh, emergency medicine was the one field that you couldn't turn away patients. Uh, you can't pick and choose based on insurance who you see and who you don't see. Uh, and we really get a good cross-section of what our, our streets and our communities are going through. Uh, I'm from the south side of Chicago. I've lost so many people to gun violence as well as all of the other healthcare disparities that disproportionately affect our community. Uh, but I'm also somebody who has gotten a ton of support from our community, uh, not only those of us who are high-esteemed physicians, but also some of those drug dealers and gang leaders that you talked about. Uh, those are my peers growing up. And so I've seen many of them go down that life, uh, and my heart goes to them. But I know that, you know, with other options, many of them will choose other options. Uh, but many of them make up the fathers and the patients that we have. They make up the people who, as they do become reformed, have the greatest potential to actually affect change. And so it's from that and me knowing what those true dynamics are on the street level 
that drove me to say, what can I do with my own career? Instead of being on Twitter or Facebook just complaining about the problem, mm-hmm. how can I fashion myself as someone who can help in my own small little way? Some of the things that I that I do, as well as Dre, as well as Julian Barnes, uh, who we have on, that, that's my team. That's my family. Mm-hmm. They are both big brothers for me and ears and eyes on the streets. Uh, but we go out, and whether it's violence prevention programs like Andre Thomas runs, uh, using his history and background in the streets, uh, whether it's youth sports programs that I serve as team physicians for, as well as a mentor and role model to try to use those youth sports programs as a way to instill conflict resolution skills, as a way to instill more male role models, more discipline and the life skills that some of these young men may need to get off the street, or whether it's some of the programs that we have when we go into our high schools that I'm running right now, my students are running right as we speak with some local high schools um, to really try to teach them how to deal with these gunshot wounds, teach them how to respond in an emergency while you're waiting for help to arrive. So let me ask you guys this. Let me ask you this. Um, I don't know if people should be given life sentences for murder uh, or or not. I, I don't know. And especially if they're kids and all of that. That is not the question. But since you guys are in the streets, and especially you, Andre, so you're with the, you're a violence recovery specialist. Do you think the um, any based on your experiences with these young people? Do you think the release of any old time gangsters that were um, thrown in jail? before many of these young people were born or even thought of. Do you think the release of them would make a difference in these young people today and the fact that they are shooting people, innocent people are getting shot up in their homes, et cetera? Do you think it would make a difference? Um, uh, first, I want to say uh, thank you for having me on sure. your show. It's, it's my honor, pleasure. It's honor to be here. Um, and um, I want to say I respect everybody's opinion, but um, to answer your question bluntly, uh, absolutely I do. I'm 100% sure that it would help, and I'll tell you why. Please. Um, I understand that, you know, people feel like, you know, uh, these people just are unredeemable. You know what I mean? They, they they committed these crimes, and, and what you said earlier, nobody's saying that those guys were saints. Um, but what I've learned and I've learned this thing uh, firsthand. Um, I'm not somebody that's sitting back that has never uh, met this gentleman who he's talking about. I, I met the gentleman. I've, 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 uh, people that know me, Abdullah Pratt, uh, Julian Bond, those people can tell that I've really devoted my life to, to helping these young brothers on the streets. My heart hurts for these brothers out here committing these crimes and things like um, carjackings and all these type of things. And, and I hear people when they say, well, th- they, they, they animals, throw them away lock them up, throw away the key. And, and, and it, it breaks my heart because if someone felt that way about me at a younger age, you know, I wouldn't be here right now. I'm, so I let me ask like you I'm, this, because I'm really trying to understand this from, from Perry's perspective. Talking to Dr. Abdullah Hassan, we've been talking to uh, Andre Thomas, and, we've been, and we're going to be speaking to Reverend Bond in just a minute. So before we went to the break, you actually said um, – Mr. Bond, you said, yes, absolutely, you do believe that, not Mr. Bond, that was on uh, Mr. Thomas. You said that if there was a release of some of these older 
uh, people that were involved in uh, this gang activity uh, that they would these young people today would absolutely uh, listen to them, you know. And I, I t- let me just be straight up. I don't agree with you at all. But you said if th- if they people would have given up on you. Um, at a young age, you, you know, you wouldn't be where you are today. So let me ask you this, a very um, pointed question. What was going on in your life that you would be involved in criminal or moral abhorrent behavior? What happened that, you know, that somebody could have given up on you? What was going on at that time? Um, the same thing that's happening with these young men out here today. Um, lack of investment in neighborhoods, um, you know, no, 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 no place to really, really, really call home, family. Um, uh, one of those gentlemen that you're speaking about told me a long time ago, said, you know why people join, uh, gangs? And I, I was curious. I said, why? They say, cause gangs are like the social club of the ghetto and people just want to belong. Right. And these young men, and I'm, and I'm not making excuses for their behavior, but they haven't got to the point that where they're making adult decisions right now. The, the part of their brain that they're listening to is the part that want to impress their friends. That's why we have so much stuff going on social media, Facebook and Instagram and all those type of things. But the single most influential person, you know, I, know I don't want to monopolize the time too right. much, but anybody that know me that, that check my record, I work for ceasefire. Uh-huh. Uh, I worked at the hospital. I did work, I worked for target area development, uh, trying to uh, interrupt and intervene. Some of this violence that's going on with these guys. And a lot of a lot of things that I use, a lot of the talk that I use, a lot of the uh, tactics that I use is, is tactics and conversations that I learned directly from uh, Larry Bernard, who the, the the single most influential person I ever met in my life. And then you can check my record. I'm not in the game. I'm, right. not, I'm a single black man. I own my own house. Yes. I take care of my two kids. The single most influential person I ever met in my life is Larry Bernard Hooper. At once upon a time, I, I, I was an enemy, I thought, to Jeff Ford. Uh-huh. Jeff Ford is a great man as well. And the reason why those two gentlemen are locked up, people would believe, you know, and, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm not suggesting I'm going to be able to change anybody's mind. Okay. But if you really do your research, you will see. People will have you believe that those people are locked up because they are master criminals. They're criminal masterminds, and they did say that. Nobody is, 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 a, is a, I'm not making excuses for their behavior at that time. But sometimes people do what they do as a course of survival, thinking that there's no other way. I used to think that there was no other way. Now I know I'm more successful in life now than I've ever been this way. Or ever but dreamed people of. People have you believe that, that I ever dreamed of. Thank you. People will have you believe that those people are locked up because they're criminal mastermind. But the single most important reason that those people are locked up, and probably I, I don't want to get it, but I, I'm praying that it won't happen, but the reason that they'll probably never see the streets again is not because they're criminal masterminds, because they got a place for that. They got a place for people that commit murders and sell drugs and all that. Those men are locked up because they have the unique ability to mobilize men, black men in particular. That's a threat, and that's the reason why those men are locked up. If they come out right now, I'm not saying they're going to come out and say, put the guns down, and everybody's going to listen to them. But those men were so charismatic and so advanced in their thinking that they would come out and put together some type of coalition among everybody well, well, well. So they didn't sell a- drugs. They weren't involved in prostitution, and because see, I am a recovering addict, so I, I, okay. I, I had to, you know, I was involved in in doing drugs, 
And I always say that was my free will to do that. Thank God today that I'm not a part of it. But I wanted to ask um, the Reverend, Reverend Bond. Reverend Bond, when you talk to these people after they have been a victim of, of violence, when they have and, and refuse to cooperate with police and 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 say who did who did this to them do they ever have i mean have you ever had one that had a come to jesus moment and and you're praying over them and for them did they do the right thing after that did has that ever happened to you we have been having a great conversation with Dr. Abdullah Hassan. Uh, he is the assistant professor of emergency medicine, at the University of Chicago Medical Center. We're also talking to, uh, Dr. Uh, I'm sorry, Reverend Julian A. Bond. He is a chaplain at the Spiritual Care at University of Chicago. And we're talking to Andre Thomas, who is a violence recovery specialist with the University of Chicago Medicine. And again, gentlemen, thank you so much for being a part of this conversation because I'm coming to you as a novice and someone that does not understand uh, this type of violence. It wasn't ever a part of my life. I never wanted, I never wanted to be. I don't want to be desensitized and, um, and, and so harsh. And I get it. And I, I appreciate Mr. Thomas, you talking about your own situation. And I was very much aware. And I, I even said this with, uh, COVID-19. A lot of them are a lot of these people that are involved in in this kind of activity do so uh, even with COVID-19. Too many people in the house. They don't have uh, their there's personal space. Uh, There might be uh, some abuse going on that they know about. They don't have heat. They don't have, you know, a a meal every, you know, three times a day. I get that. But with, uh, for example, with the carjacking, um, I just hate the day when somebody, again, like Lieutenant Williams, who was was killed uh, in front of that popcorn place in uh, Morgan Park. I just hope that we don't see this again. But what I think people are missing is the people that are victims of these young people and the things that they do, the victims, they're traumatized. Yes, ma'am. They're traumatized. Would anybody disagree with that? No, ma'am. I mean, we work with the victims. Not at all. We work with the victims every day. We see those victims when they come into the hospital, and we do everything that we can as far as – using a, a comprehensive recovery and, and, and trauma-informed care. And, you know, we sympathize with the victims as well. But what we've also learned, what I've learned in doing this work is, uh-huh. when these people are committing these type of these, these crimes, like, like really violence is a disease. These people are really, like, like, sick. So I don't really look at the person. I look at the behavior. And I'm trying to find ways to change their mindset to let them know it is another way. Like, I know it's another way now. It's not the person. I don't look at it as good or bad. I look at it as a behavior, and it's a learned behavior. You know what I'm saying? It's a lot of what some of the things you just missed. It's a lot of systemic issues in place that need to be fixed, that need to be corrected for us to start giving these young people something else to do. 
so, but to start redirecting their energy. So again, I'm going to ask this question again, as I've, I've asked one of your colleagues, uh, Dr. Pratt. Does this need to be deemed a public health emergency, a pandemic, so public policy can start to address these issues? Now we speak in the right language. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Doc. Yes, ma'am. I I would say yes, ma'am. And for all of us who are on the street level, we've been deemed a, a public health emergency. It's trying to get people to understand who aren't here, who don't have the inside view to humble themselves, to be able to say, listen, I'm not an expert on that. I'm not around there. Maybe I came from there. I'm not here anymore. Uh-huh. But I, I need to trust the people like Andre, to trust the people like Pastor Julian, trust those doctors like myself and Brian Williams, who you had on a couple of weeks ago, right. to be those ears and eyes, to, to be trustworthy, because we have to hold the whole system accountable, including ourselves as the providers. We all play a part in this. And, and it's hard to blame the victim, just like I wouldn't blame you for buying those drugs back in the day. I would right. never say lock her up and throw away the key and don't let her out. But there are people who are locked up right now for that very thing, buying a dime bag of this, buying this and that. I see them get locked up in the emergency room for those things. So we're just asking that the whole community realize that enough is enough. You know, we are at rock bottom. We don't have another day to spare. Mothers are crying. Families are broken. My own family has been broken due to the violence. Most of my friends' families have lost people. Same thing with the housing instability. Same thing with the rate of domestic violence, intimate partner abuse, drug abuse, healthcare disparities. And then you throw COVID all on top of that, and now you see these breakthroughs in mental health illness that have gone unaddressed. Uh, like with the shooting incident that happened a couple of weeks ago that we took care of those patients, and now we still have a 15-year-old girl who's suffering at my own alma mater, uh, and her family, friends don't have really any answers. These are systemic things that when we ignore them, those who are in positions of power, those who are in media are complicit. We all complicit in that the, every time that we hear somebody blow a whistle, we hear somebody say, hey, this is a red flag. And we say, nah, my own opinion is needs more to that. I know a little bit more than this person. And so we do nothing. And the community continues to get worse. The reality doesn't change just because we are not willing to face it because it's too difficult or it doesn't fit with our ideals. That's what we see on the ground level. Nobody cares as much as they claim they do, else they'd be out here doing that work. We all have a small role that we can play. We can all do something small in our communities to start changing it, but we don't. We run the social media. We throw our own opinions out there. We debate about it, and then no motion happens on these things, and our children suffer, and our communities continue to suffer. So that's the message that we have is that join forces in whatever small way that you can to do something positive in each of these instances. So we all have expertise I'm sure that if you went back and spoke to people who we have in the ER right now, i got three patients right now who have just overdosed, who we're trying to get off of methadone, off of cocaine and things like that. I'm sure they would listen to you. They'd hear your story and see you as a success and an inspiration to them. And I think it's the same way with violence. It's the same way with other cases. And we have, like I was saying before your other break, we have the empirical data and evidence to show it. People just don't want to listen because it's not them. It doesn't fit with them. And they don't care as much as they claim they do. We do care. We're sacrificing our careers for that. We're out there in the streets doing that every day. And so that's a whole community initiative that we all can play a part in. Reverend Bond, you know, there are many people that think that these people are soulless. They think that the ones that are committing violence, they don't understand how they can just shoot up into a house and and, and kill a grandmother or a child that's on the computer and all of that. I mean, as a man of God, it is your duty 
and you're calling to, you know, try to spread uh, the word of God and, and be a comfort to these people. But do you think that some of these people have been hurt so much? I mean, they have PTSD from the trauma that they have experienced themselves in their own lives. I mean, is it a far stretch to say that many of these people are not reachable at this point? They're, when they, when you talk to them, are they reachable? Can they turn their lives around? How can you, you know, turn around spiritually someone who's probably never set, had anyone tell them that they love them or called them by their their real name other than a cuss word? How do you, I mean, how do you reach a person like that? Thank you for having me. And I want to tell you that uh, the, the deepest measure that you can go to to do that is be an instrument, in, in which I am, uh -huh. but then also help others to understand they are instruments uh, along with the staff. And when I have those private conversations with them, I'm able to utilize something that I, I read from Martin Luther King and, and, and also that of use, utilizing the, the biblical text. You know, I'm not praying upon them. I'm not P-R-E-Y-ing them. I, I, if they ask me to pray, I will pray upon request. I just don't go in and just pray. Right. You know, upon request, I will pray. But to administer love, you have to be there in the moment and just walk with them. That's my role. And I'll walk up to them and I'll inform them of who I am and I'll ask them, tell me your full name. And then I'll repeat to them, do you know that I love you? If you didn't know, you know now. And I don't know when was the last time you heard this, but I want you to know this. You're going to get through this, and we can get through this together. You're at the right place. We're going to take care of you, and we'll have all the measures that you can utilize to move you forward. Everyone, Perry, is recovering. Okay. Every, everyone. Reverend Bond, and this on. pandemic has showed us that. Dr. Abdullah Hassan Pratt, along with his uh, his colleague, uh, Brian Williams, they are attempting to form relationships with schools where through multiple sessions they can address violence by way of providing students with a safe space to discuss their traumas and learn healthy coping skills. Um he says uh, the PTSD and mental illness is contributing to this violence. Seven seven three five nine one sixteen ninety. Let me go to Shauna. Shauna, thank you for your calling. Your patience. Go right ahead. Okay, Ray Rob. It's a Shauna. Go right ahead. Hey, how how you doing, Perry? Yeah. Um, I like the fact that you said people have to remember the victims of all this. I remember being. Of, of eight years old, I was on 63rd and St. Lawrence, and somebody came into the store and robbed the store, put a gun to my face. I never forgot it. I never forgot what that person looked like. And you never forget those things. So when people sit around and say, oh, we should let Larry Hoover out and um, all these other people, come on. I mean, people have suffered from this. Outside of that incident, my mother was addicted to drugs for over 30 years. Mm -hmm. That that played a part in that. I didn't have a relationship. I didn't have any kind of healthy relationship with my mother. And my father abandoned, so I didn't have a relationship with any of my uh, maternal and paternal parents. Wow. So uh, the fact that 
the fact that these people want to sit here and keep saying that we want to allow the, the criminal to come out and run the asylum, that's not the way that it works. We need to start uplifting people that are doing right and stop trying to stop trying to make a point and, and wasting our time with people that don't want to do anything for themselves. And I get it. I get that the pastor wants to pray for him and things like that. I do too. But that's all that we can do because it takes a person inside of them to change. And if they're not willing to change, then we are wasting our time. And we need to focus on these kids and these, and these young adults that are doing the right things in life and trying to get ahead and trying to be somebody for themselves. Because wasting all this energy on bad is not going to get us anywhere. That's the way that we come together and get over there. I'm going to let them respond to that because, you know, everybody atones when they're sitting behind bars. That's that's the way I feel about it. It's easy to atone when you're sitting behind bars. One of you gentlemen can uh, respond to uh, what uh, Shauna said. I would, I, would, I would like to respond to that. Um, and I would, again, I would use myself um, as an example Um um, I, I didn't always work on this side of violence prevention. You know, I was once a part of the problem, a significant. And this is Andre Thomas speaking, guys. Yeah, so yeah, listen. Yeah. Yeah, I was once a significant part of the problem. You know, the pro- I understand when you're victimized and then you feel a certain type of way because, you know, your family loves you and, and, and you feel like you feel. But I think that we all have to think, especially us uh, coming from the impoverished community that we come from, everybody got a cousin. Everybody got an uncle. Everybody got a brother that at some point going to get outside of uh, God, so to speak. And when it happens to you, when it's you and your family, now all of a sudden you won't be, he's redeemable. You know, he's remorseful. You know, he, give him another chance. You know, nobody's saying bring a person out that's bad. I'm telling you, the most influential person I've ever met in my life was Larry Bernard Hoover. I would not do this work that I do right now. I would not have the compassion and empathy that I have toward these people. But what did he do to influence? What did he do to be so influential had, towards you? Had, what did he, he say to you? He had conversations with me that's diametrically opposed to what you, and I thank you when you said, I'm not knowing, I'm not educated about this. I've never been, it's never been a part of my life. I don't understand it. I commend you for saying that because you admit you admit that you don't understand. But as somebody who sat there on this side uh-huh. and was pulled into this side, every conversation I ever had was about positive principles, about being an asset to your community, to your family, about uplifting the community, about awakening the sleeping giant. See, as long as you're out there shooting and killing and doing bad stuff in the community, you are right. But when you start trying to change the, the, the adverse effects of your community, when you start trying to uplift a whole community, when you start telling them it's power in your vote, that's when you become an enemy, and that's when you get sent away for a natural life sentence. I'm not upset with nobody because of how they feel. It's just that I want us to be open-minded and think that because, again, we talk about God a lot, and God said you're supposed to forgive uh, seven times 777, you know what I mean? Not just pray for them and then leave them, you know what I mean? Because if somebody just prayed over me and left me, I wouldn't be where I am right now. But at the same time, gentlemen and, and callers alike, at the same time, there are people, innocent victims out here. There are people that are being carjacked. There are people 
who are being terrorized um, by people like how you used to be, Andre. And I know you, we, I've taken up so much of your time. We're going to have this conversation on a regular basis, gentlemen. And I want to thank, thank you so much for coming thank on. And, yeah, it's wonderful thank to you. have you. And, and like I said, I am so impressed with the doctors um, the, as hard as you work. Uh, there in in that hospital, and how you lobbied for uh, a trauma a level one trauma center. Thank you so much uh, to all three of you for what you do.